before the Southern Baptist Convention was ever organized. There are a lot of other churches that are scattered around over the country that really are older than the Southern Baptist Convention. This is one of them, very historic church. And we thank God for the truth that goes forth in this place and for the great interest in missionary endeavors that you have. I think that you're a church that has a balance in that you not only believe in the sovereignty of God and all the doctrines of grace, but you also believe in preaching the responsibility of man and getting out the gospel to the entire world. Do pray for me. I have felt better physically, and I have felt worse. Yesterday afternoon I felt worse. But you pray for me that I shall have both physical and spiritual strength to bring the message here tonight. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're going to read verse 12. And after that we have read this verse, I will speak on the subject of the time haze, the time haze. I want you to watch the two words, now and then. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. I believe in order to understand the verse that is before us, we need for just a moment or two to project ourselves back some 2,000 years, as it were, into history and realize the type mirrors that they had in the time of the New Testament. They did not have mirrors like we have now. They were made out of polished brass. And in truth, they only gave a very poor reflection of whatever object that you could see in them. And it seems to me that the statement here, we see through a glass darkly, is just another way of saying that when we look into the brass mirror of the present, we only see a little of what we ought to see, or even could see, so far as that goes. So with all of our best knowledge at the present time, we have but a very defective representation of the objects that are reflected in the mirror of the Word of God. In the future heavenly state, we will see face to face. So the present state is like looking into a brass mirror. But the future state is like seeing the real thing face to face. That is the difference in our text between now and then. That's what the Apostle Paul, I believe, had in mind there. In the future state, there will be nothing to hinder our perfect knowledge of perception. So the whole thrust of this verse seems to me to hinge on the thought there of now and then. So we're going to talk some tonight about now, and before we get through, we'll speak some about then. First of all, in some of the verses before, had we read that, there would have been other truths set forth. But you note in the 12th verse that it says, Now I know in part. 
That means exactly the same thing almost as the expression, we see through a glass darkly. When it comes to the providence of God, to creation, and many other subjects, we must confess that now we see through a glass darkly. Let's go for just a few moments talking about our partial knowledge to the thought of how even in creation we see through a glass darkly. You know the height to which the astronomer has in comparison to the great deep that is out there before him. Those that study science and deal with the affairs of nature tell us that there is more that remains to be known than there is that's already known at the present time. If you and I, even as we look at nature, could see it all in a more intenser light, we would have a far brighter presentation of the revelation of God in nature. You see, all of the created universe is a mirror that dimly reflects God's attributes to us. Now, the light of nature does not show us all the attributes of God. But we especially in nature are able to see some of the power, wisdom, and goodness of God. God has revealed himself by two different means. There is the revelation of nature, and then there is the revelation of the Word of God. The revelation in nature is not as clear a revelation as the Word of God, but it is a revelation nevertheless. We're told in the Bible that the invisible God is declared by the visible creation. One brother has already pointed out earlier in the message, men are without excuse. Everybody that lives any place in the world can know that there is a supreme being. In the book of Romans chapter 1 in verse 20, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Then we are told in the book of Psalms, the 19th division, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Thank God for the revelation that we have of him in nature. But you know, there are many things that God does in nature that I don't understand. And if you would ask me tonight to explain these unto you, I would simply say that I cannot do so. Why does God send hurricanes and typhoons and 
thunderstorms that sometimes cause people to get killed. Why does God send earthquakes? Why are there floods in various parts of the world? And why are even some of His elect children destroyed so far as their physical beings are concerned in these physical catastrophes that come upon the world? If you ask me why all of this is so, I can only say that I see through a glass darkly. I cannot explain it to your satisfaction. I must accept by faith the fact that the Creator is doing right. And until I have more perfect light, that is all I can do. For I see through a glass darkly, brethren. Then when we come to providence, again we must confess that we see through a glass darkly. The older I get, the more I see of the providence of God working in the world. I saw it yesterday. I've seen it already today. If I live until tomorrow, I'm sure that I'll see more of it when that day has fully come. I do not believe that the world is governed by blind faith. I do not believe that we are the victims of some impersonal force that lurks in the universe. I do not believe there is any such thing as luck. I know you ladies sometimes have this potluck lunch, you know, dish you make and all of that. Probably you ought to call it pot providence. Because I see the providence of God in everything. So there is no such thing as chance. There is nothing in the universe that ever takes place that God doesn't know about before it happens. And I believe that the foreordination of God underlines all of His foredetermination of what's going to happen. He foreknew something was going to happen because He determined that it would happen. So in spite of the great faith that I have in the providence of God, His foreordination of all things that comes to pass in the world, There are a lot of things that I see in Providence I can't explain. This past Sunday, a dear friend of mine went to church, fell dead when he got home. Not an old man either. A young boy in my church, only 35 years old, died of terminal cancer. Left a young wife and a young son behind. I tell you, there are some dark chapters in this book of divine providence. I don't know why that God allows a lot of things to go on in the world. I don't know why that some of our brothers tonight are in jail in Russia, and we're over here with absolute freedom. You say, well, why does God allow these things? I can't explain it. I can only say that it's His good pleasure to be so. And I can say that I see through a glass darkly. That's probably the reason that I don't understand it. I don't know the why, the wherefore, and to what end all of these afflictions and calamities are that come upon the people of God because I see through a glass darkly. I can't always justify 
the ways of God to men. But I know that God is just, but I can't explain it to the satisfaction of men. I can't tell you why that the wicked prosper year after year when they live in constant rebellion against God. I can't tell you why that it seems like the work of God makes such slow progress sometime in the world. You know, sometimes I wonder why that our churches don't grow like other churches do. You ever wonder about that? I wonder why so many of our preachers in the last few years have been overtaken in error, and in some cases immorality, and even other things that I could mention. If you ask me to explain all of this to your satisfaction, tell what God's doing in the book of Providence, I can't do it. I can only say that I see through a glass darkly, and until I see better, I will accept it by faith. Then there are the truths of the Scriptures. And even these we see through a glass darkly. The Bible said we know in part. Now to hear some fellows tell it, they know just about all that's knowable. But I don't believe any of us know what we really ought to know. And in comparison to what we all ought to know, Probably in God's sight, we're all a bunch of spiritual ignoramuses. Well, I thought I knew quite a bit. I'm sort of a scholarly man. You know in part what the Bible says. How much do you really know about God? His ways are unsearchable, and His judgments are past finding out. No man can understand the Almighty unto perfection. Can you explain tonight the Trinity to me? You know, the Bible says in 1 John 5 and 7, there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one. Can you explain that to me? Three can be one and one can be three. I can't explain that, can you? You know, the truth of the Trinity is revealed, but it's revealed through a glass darkly. We can't fully explain it. We just have to accept it by faith. It's not really against reason to believe in the Trinity, but it is just most difficult to try to understand it in our little finite minds that we have. The problem's not in the revelation of God, but it's in our limited capacity to understand. There's where the problem comes in, as I believe it. What do you really know about salvation? Can you explain all about God's decree concerning the salvation of the elect? Can you explain to me all that there is to be known about the future glorification of our bodies? then when we think about these truths, we have to say that we see through a glass darkly. There's a lot of controversy sometimes surrounding the doctrine of regeneration. And some preachers meet and have debates and all kinds of things about it. Is the word an instrument or not? Is faith the cause of regeneration? How does God regenerate babies? And I can go on and on asking questions that are pretty difficult to answer in a lot of cases. 
know, the prince of theologians, Jesus Christ, said in the third chapter of John that the matter of regeneration is a mystery. You know, sometimes I think we might ought to leave it at that instead of arguing about all the finer points of it. I know enough about these things to know that one day the Lord showed me I was lost and He revealed Christ as my Savior. Now, I'm certain of that. There are a lot of things beyond that that I'm not too certain about. I take them by faith. I can't explain them all to my satisfaction. A lot of times people that do not believe in the doctrine of divine sovereignty will say, reconcile the responsibility of man with the absolute sovereignty of God. Well, with a carnal mind, you just can't do it. They won't have it. But I don't believe there's any contradiction there. I don't believe there's anything that is contradictory about the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. Instead of being contradictory, they're complementary one to the other as I see it. I know the Bible says in Mark 1 and 15, repent and believe the gospel. But I know that Acts 5 and 31 says that you can't repent unless Christ gives you repentance. So well, how then can a man be responsible to do something that he can't do if the Lord don't help him do it? I can only say to a lot of these questions I see through a glass darkly. I probably will never be able to explain it to your satisfaction. I just take it by faith. What do we really know tonight about the origin of sin? Now, if you want to plunder a great mystery, start with that. Why did God allow sin to enter the human race? If He could have prevented it, why didn't He prevent it? If He's going out in the future to put the devil in the bottomless pit, why don't He put the scoundrel in there right now, tonight? I can't explain all of those questions. Because I see through a glass darkly. You say, well now, why does God make some creatures and they're going to be lost and burn in hell? And He makes others and they're His elect and they're going to go and spend eternity with Christ. Why does the Lord do all of that? Well, it's His good pleasure. You say, explain it. I can't explain it. I'm not God. I just take it by faith. Because I see through a glass darkly. How much do we really know tonight? Well, I'll tell you this much about me. What I need to know is far greater than what I do know. That's probably true of every person in the house. The Bible says that eye hath not seen and ear hath not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man all that God has prepared for them that love Him. So that's why I said, brethren, we see through a glass dark. You know, because of our limited knowledge, we should be very slow to condemn a brother that may disagree with us sometimes. I know that there are many doctrines of the Bible that we must stand for uncompromisingly. There should be no bowing down before anybody. But my brethren, there are some things that we ought not to always be fussing about, too. I think sometimes today that Baptists have split until they're nothing but splinters. There's only a few people left in the world that believe some of these great doctrines about sovereign grace and the local church and 
there's other great things that the Bible teaches. And really, rather than trying to cut one another's throats, it seems to me that we ought to do what we can to cooperate and get out these great truths that we believe and put forth to the world more of a united front rather than countless divisions and seemingly ever-reoccurring divisions from time to time. I'm not advocating compromising the Word of God here. I'm just saying that there are times we need to be very slow to condemn a brother that may disagree with us. None of us really know it all. How humble we ought to be. How worthless is our present state when you think about it. We are all very short-sighted, and every one of us at our best state is altogether vanity in the sight of God. People come around and they, they brag about human intellect. I even hear some people that go to churches saying, our preacher is a great scholar, you know. Well, he may be. But you know, the pride of, of human intellect is really a, a poor thing at best. If we know in part, we see through a glass darkly, and there's a better time out there when we'll see more clearly than we see now, then how can we be so inclined to this pride of human intellect? It's a foolish and silly thing for us to engage in. Well, let's move along. I want to tell you some of the reasons why that our knowledge at the present time is partial why we don't know all that we might want to know and would like to know. Most all of what we know comes from the five senses. Seeing, smelling, tasting, hearing, touch. It all comes from that. Through these five senses, we gather all of the light that flashes on our consciousness and we form our ideas based on that. I'll tell you what, this body tends to materialize the conceptions of the mind. It also tends to sway the decisions of the mind. So that it is very difficult for us to understand spiritual things. I believe that when we leave this body we will almost instantaneously know more than we've ever known while we were in this body. For this body clogs the operation of our mind. Well, it doesn't do it. Why, it certainly does. What about business, sleep, refreshment, exercise, disease? All of that interrupts our study of the divine and spiritual things. And this body, rather than helping us, to understand those great things of God tends to clog our mind and hold us back, as it were. No wonder Paul said, in this body we groan. We groan. It's a body of sin and death at best. Then I believe that the Scriptures, I'm speaking now of the written Word of God, reveals all necessary truth, but not all truth. Now, you may want to argue with me about that, but you think a little while. I believe that all necessary truth is plainly revealed. There are certain doctrines that are just barely hinted at in the Bible. You want to give me a good rundown on reprobation? Hmm? You want to tell me all about the resurrection body of the unsaved? Hmm? You want to give me a body of divinity on some of those things? It'd be pretty brief, wouldn't it? Because the Bible doesn't say a lot about some of the subjects like this. 
The Lord has told us in the Bible all that we need to know about the great spiritual realities. But there are two things that cause us, even in that respect, to see through a glass darkly. I wish that I could read the Bible in the Masoretic Hebrew text, and I wish I could read the Bible in the Textus Receptus Greek text, but I know so little Greek and Hebrew until I would be no good at all at doing that. And so what I have and what I can sink my teeth into, so to speak, is this translation we have, the King James Version of 1611. My brother, and I'll tell you something tonight, not everybody reads English. A missionary in France wrote me a letter the other day, and he said, why don't you translate some things into French? We don't have anything to give people over here on the mission field. Some time ago, I was out west, and a young girl was in the service, and she came up, and she talked to the pastor, and then briefly spoke to me. He was from Germany. She could barely speak English. She said, I've never seen a Bible in my tongue. I've never seen a Bible that I could read we got that girl, a German Bible. It was into the translation by Martin Luther, which is not too bad if you want to check it out. And so she was able to read the Word of God for the first time. But in addition to that, we have a lot of modern versions that certainly have blurred the revelation of God, first of all because they're translated from corrupt Catholic text rather than the text of the Anabaptists and of the progenitors of the Baptists. So when it comes to the translations of the Word of God, uh, there are some defects. I don't recommend a lot of these modern versions. I can't go into that. It's, it's not within my purview here tonight. There's another problem, the expositors of the Word. There's not any preacher here in this house that is an infallible interpreter of this Bible. Now, I know the Pope of Rome is supposed to be infallible, but he's constantly changing his mind and making new rulings all the time, so there must be something wrong with his infallibility. No doubt in this auditorium tonight, there are some good and godly people that are good expositors of the Word of God, but there's no infallible expositor. So that's why I say we see through a glass darkly. You know, sometimes when I read the Bible... I get the impression that there's so much truth out there beyond what I see until it's not even worthy to be compared to what I do see. I really don't know how God could condescend almost to communicate Himself unto us. The Bible uses a lot of metaphors and figures that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. God doesn't have any eyes like we do. He's a spirit. The arm of the Lord is not shortened that it cannot save. Well, that arm of the Lord is just symbolism for the power of God in the Bible. And so we, we see a lot of truths, but we don't see all the truths that we need to see and would like to see. I find many mysteries in the Bible that I'm not able to penetrate. And I must merely accept what I do know by my faith in God that does all things well and leave it at that. I tell you what, there's enough revealed in the Bible to make us responsible to obey God. 
There's enough revealed in this book that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. There is in this book all things that pertain unto life and godliness. We certainly don't do all that we know to do that this book says. Then I believe another reason that we have this partial knowledge is not only because of the limitation of the five senses, not only because the Scriptures reveal much truth but not all truth, because of our imperfect vision. You know, when a fellow looks in the mirror, he doesn't see everything that's in that mirror. When we look into the Bible, we don't see it all. There's dust in our eyes. There's tears in our eyes. And when you think about it, we see comparatively little of what God has revealed in the book. Then I believe, forthwith, there's another reason, and that's the dimness of the light in which we live. That's the time haze that I'm speaking about. The haze of sin is all around us. The air is darkened by evil. And the beams of the sun of righteousness must break through much fog in order to shine to us. Then there's still another reason, and that's because we move as we gaze. Coming over here today, we traveled something like a little over 100 miles. I looked at some of the countryside as we traveled, but I didn't see all the countryside that was out there. I was moving, but I gazed a little here and I gazed a little there. So you see, our life is rampant. We move hurriedly through this world and we are only able just now and then to glance at the divine things, the great wonders of God in the Bible and in nature and other things that are here upon this earth. So we don't see as much as we might see. If we live longer, maybe we'd know more. But we don't live too long in this world. As soon as we are born, we begin to die. Man comes into the world weeping, and he goes out usually with a sigh. And in between, there's little time, little time at best. Now that we might have the whole thrust of the message, we want to talk some about the perfect knowledge of the future state. You remember that our text said, we now know in part, we now see through a glass darkly, but it said then, looking to a future time, then there's going to be a better day coming, you see. It said we'll see face to face and we will know as we are known. Now let's talk about that perfect knowledge of the future state for a little while. I believe in that future state we're going to know more about God than we know now. We will behold His glory. How wonderful it will be to see His face in righteousness. How glorious to live in His immediate presence. Thank God for the promise of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Not just see Him as judge. Everybody's going to do that. See God in the form of God. See God in all of His glory. See the Shekinah of the Old Testament, if you please. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Not a form that God took, but see God. I believe in that future coming state 
we will see more of Christ than we see at the present time. We will behold His glory. Did He not pray in the 17th chapter of John that one day we should behold His glory, the glory that He had with the Father before the world was? That will be fulfilled when we see Christ. To see Him as He is is to be made like Him. To be completely conformed to the image of God's Son. We'll be real Christians then, won't we? Real Christians then. Then what about creation? I believe we'll see more about that in the future state. We will become acquainted with the works of the universe in all of their extent, variety, and glory. How wonderful will be that time when we'll run and not be weary and we'll walk and not be faint. Then what about the mysteries of providence? I told you a while ago I can't explain them. I can't explain them even to myself, let alone to somebody else. You know, one of these days, the righteous character of God will be vindicated and His wisdom will be made manifest for all to see. Some time ago, I was over in the hill country of West Virginia and we went up on a very high mountain called the Turkish Fair over there in the state park at Beckley, West Virginia. And the New River runs right down below that high point if you stand on one side of this mountain, it looks like the river's going this way. But if you walk to the other side, it looks like it's going this way. But if you get right up on the point, you can see that it makes a bend and goes. That's the way it is with us in this world. We're down there on the banks of the river. We just see it going this way. We don't know that it's going the other way over here. But you see, God's higher than us. and He looks down and He sees how it's going all the time. And so one of these days, we too will be lifted higher up and we'll have a better understanding of what God has been doing all the time in His providential control of this world. Then, what about the wonders of redemption? In that future state, we'll better be able to prize that precious blood that has washed us from all of our sins. We'll be better able to contemplate the hell from which we have been rescued by the sovereign grace of God. We'll be better able to know the heights of glory and happiness to which we've been exalted by the working of God's mighty power. We'll surely know more of the love of Christ than we know tonight. But I don't believe we'll ever completely understand the love of Christ. The Bible said it passes knowledge. Know a lot more about it, yes. Have greater revelations of it in a time to come. But I don't believe that we'll ever understand to the fullest extent the love of Christ because the Bible said it passes knowledge. And I'll have to leave it there. But you see, our, our partial knowledge is going to be expanded into more perfect knowledge. We're going to see after a new and a divine manner our knowledge of truth We'll be like God's knowledge of us. And we, like God, will see things through and through rather than through a glass dark. I think that's the meaning of face to face. One of these days, 
the veil of sense and time is going to fall off. The mysteries shall be revealed. Riddles shall be solved. Contradictions shall be reconciled. Misunderstandings shall vanish away. Disguises will be removed. Dark clouds will be scattered. There will be no more doubt and fear. No more darkness and difficulty. We will know as we are known. The most wonderful and glorious time it's going to be. So this present cold and misty dawn is not going to last forever. One day all will be luminous. Shadow will be replaced by sunshine. Faith by sight. Hope by realization. And the veil shall be removed and the scales will fall from our eyes. We shall see as we have never seen things before. You know, there's a lot of people that make fun of Christians. They say, I don't want to be a Christian. They don't try to get the facts. You know, they don't know anything. They're a bunch of dummies and all that. That's not what this verse says. The path of piety is the path of knowledge. We're sometimes ridiculed because of our indifference to the facts. But I tell you here tonight that we're on the way to the greatest facts that any men have ever known in all the annals of human history when we shall know as we're known. Very quickly, we wish to close. I'll tell you this much. In the eternal ages to come, we'll never know any more about God than he wants us to know. Perhaps John Owens was right when he said, Throughout all eternity, we'll go on trying to better understand God. He may be right about that. You know, if I looked at the verse before my text, I would see this great contrast between the present state and the future state. In time, I'm a man. I mean, I'm a child, but in eternity, I'll be a man. I'll put away childish things. So, we're but a child in time, but we'll be a man in eternity. That's a wonderful thought to me. If we know truth, then we need to follow the truth that we know. We don't know it all, but we know enough. We have a great responsibility to God. None of us should use our knowing in part as an excuse not to try to learn more about the things of God. It'd be wrong to do that. Let us follow the truth we know. Let us seek to know more truth than what we know. Let us also long for the better world, it's going to be better then than it is now. Sometimes I get homesick for heaven. So tired of this old world. Fighting with the devil. Worrying with his children sometimes. How long for that better world? What light, what glory will burst upon us when we get there? Isaac Watts was right when he said, I can read my title clear. The mansion's in the sky. I'll bid farewell to every fear. Wipe my weeping eyes. May the Lord bless you.